Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Family Prosperity Podcast. This is Michael Redden, and today we're going to cover one of the questions that I've gotten uh, several times lately, as a matter of fact. As folks might know, we have been going over a few series of podcasts, you know, that kind of get into some of the technical aspects of your money, whether it's from an asset protection standpoint or an estate planning standpoint. Today, we're going to continue that asset protection series. And the question I've been getting is, how can trusts fail you? Right. When people think about asset protection and locking their money up, putting it away so no one can get it, whether it's creditors, whether it's divorcing spouses or things like that, most people know that, you know, uh, a trust is an option. It's something you hear a lot about, but they can fail and they do fail. And we're going to cover the three areas today uh, where they fail. The first one is uh, when is a failure when you get your money or your assets into a trust, right? You still got to give it to the trust. That trust is that other person that's going to hold on to this money so that when things come after you, you don't have it to take, right? It's, it's in someone else's hands. And the thing you've got to remember with uh, trust and things like that is once it's in there is when the protection happens. And we're not going to let you just put something in there right the moment you get sued, right? I mean, when you go to a bank or you go take out credit or you do anything like that, anything that, you know, kind of uh, gives you debts, you're not going to get that credit extended a lot of times if uh, they know you're just going to turn right around and put their collateral or something like that into a trust or try to uh, lock your money up. They're giving that um, credit to you based upon your income and your assets at the time. And that's why most of the time you're not going to be able to just put stuff away into a trust that a lender made a decision to give you credit on and kind of have that protected. There are some uh, kind of loopholes with that. For one, it could be because, you know, you let the lender know about it. Maybe they consented to it or maybe they didn't complain about it. You know, some time passed. Uh, So the first thing is, you know, that's the theory behind it. We don't think that it's going to be fair or right under the law for someone who sees that financial stress coming, right? And is making those decisions to take risks and knows there's going to be a problem to go put that stuff away. You've got to do this asset protection planning uh, when it's cloudy outside. You can't wait till it starts raining and there's lightning and there's hail and things are really coming down to get you before you can start doing that. You need to do it when it's bright and sunny and everything's good. That's why you need to have this planning done and you kind of update it as you go through. Another thing to kind of look at here is when you can actually put things into the trust, right? Basically, if you have known creditors who may be coming after you for money or or you can really perceive it in the future, right? You know, if you were to come to me, I would really start with those first questions, you know, um, what bothers you? And it's usually a bad sign when they, when they don't say, you know, I'm afraid that if business goes bad or something like that, that, you know, I, I could lose it all. Or if you say, you know, uh, this person by name, maybe you name a specific vendor, maybe you name a specific customer. You say, you know, uh, a business deal went bad, a contract got broken and with this person, I'm afraid they're going to come after me. Now we're not even saying, you know, there's maybe somebody out there in the future. We know specifically what that threat's going to be. We know specifically who might come after the money. That person that you can specifically name can probably undo you putting things in a trust because you did it. 
just so that they couldn't collect when you already knew something bad had happened. We're all about planning, you know. In America, we're like, we, we, we appreciate that. If you're going to plan and put your assets up in such a way that you can't lose a lot of it, great. You do that before the rainy day. We're not going to let you do that planning after you've already entered into business uh, with folks. People have already had losses. They had no way to know that there was going to be a risk that you'd have nothing to collect if things went bad if you didn't already have that stuff locked up at the time they did business. So that's kind of what we look at with there, you know. Who are the future creditors potentially out there going to be? Who are your creditors now? Has anyone threatened to sue you? Is there an impending divorce? Will your spouse consent to you putting those stuff in there? Because if they know about it, you know, they've had that chance to perceive their risk, right? And is it sneaky? You know, you see it's coming. You know somebody wants that asset. You know that you're afraid you're going to lose all specifically. So you're going to go sneakily lock it up in a trust to make sure that when you do lose, they get nothing. If it feels like it's sneaky, if it feels like a response rather than preparation, then it's probably something that can be undone and make the trust fail. You can prepare your assets all day long. Prepare to take risks before you take them. But if you've already taken those risks, and it's not preparation, it's a response to something. You know you're about to get sued. You know these things are about to go bad. You know that specific person is going to come after that asset. That's when we go over into that sneaky realm. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of what we call fraudulent conveyance law. We haven't gotten to the technicalities of that um, law itself and what is or isn't a fraudulent transfer. We might do that in the future. But that's the first place the trust fail is when you put stuff into the trust, it's a transaction that a court can undo. Because all the court's going to say is, you know what? That transaction's void. It never entered the trust. Now we're going to have it available for your creditors. So that's how a trust could fail if you was if you put something in there and you didn't do it the right way and at the right time so that it was a fraudulent conveyance. The second reason that trusts fail to provide asset protection usually is because it is a self-settled trust. Now remember, the person who makes a trust is a settler. They settled it. And if you make if the same person who's a settler is also a beneficiary, then they settled it for themselves, so it's a self-settled trust. If you settle it for your kids, it's not self-settled. You didn't settle it for you. And in a great many states, if it's self-settled, we like to ignore it for asset protection. You made it. You put it in there for your benefit. You were the trustee. There's no reason a lot of states see to think that, you know, that should have any kind of particular protection. That's what's kind of happened over time. And there are special creditors that sometimes can get through this too. Some states will say, you know, we'll let you do this, but it's not going to protect from divorce. It's not going to protect from alimony and child support. Or maybe some other special class of creditor. And then there are some states that allow you to be locked up for anything. And so the choice of where you're going to make this trust, whether it's in your home state or one of these special states, goes a long way to determining whether or not it's going to be successful. Heck, you may even want to make it outside of the U.S. Some folks will make this in the Cook Islands. 
or on the island of Nevis. But you know there's a there's a stigma with having those overseas trusts and assets, right? There's more tax compliance. Um, people automatically might assume that you're doing something shady because it's there. But, you know, that is probably the highest level of protection is having one of those trusts. The next one down from being an overseas trust is that trust settled in one of those special states with special laws. The big three that people talk about the most are Alaska, um, South Dakota, Nevada. Nevada is probably the tightest. Nevada survived all kinds of court challenges. They don't let divorce get in. They don't let child support get in. And if you if your creditor should know you put in the trust or you told them about it, they don't have very long to complain before they uh, are bound by the trust. So if you're going to do a trust for yourself, make sure that you do it when it's not a rainy day. And if you're settling yourself, make sure that you put it in one of those states. Probably at the time of this podcast, I would recommend Nevada for most folks if you're going to keep it in the U.S. If you're going to go overseas, tell a different question. If you're going to keep it in the U.S., probably Nevada. And then there's going to provide protection for that. But there's another thing to think about, too. It's location. These trusts, when you put them in special states different than yours, they do better when it's money, right? Because where's money located? Where's your bank account located? Where are your stocks located? They're located wherever the bank that holds it is, right? So that Nevada trust company is going to put it in a Nevada bank account. Nevada law is going to control the whole way. But it's hard to put your house in there, right? Or that car that you're driving. So they're not a cure-all, be-all. Because even if they're in that trust, instead of dealing with Nevada courts, maybe you have to deal with a sheriff in Arkansas. Or a judge in Minnesota. Or a, or a judge in Mississippi. Or Wyoming. They may have a little bit more pressure they can put on there. doesn't mean they're going to get there. But... That is a threat. That is a consideration that people should take into account. The types of assets you put in there make them more protected. And it's easier to get after an asset that is physically in your state rather than the state of the trust. So self-settled trusts, they're at risk. To make a trust for somebody else, yeah, that's better. But that's the second avenue. The first avenue was you didn't put in the trust right. There's already a rainy day, and they can undo the transfer. The second is, you made it for yourself, and it's in one of those states where uh, creditors are allowed to come in there if you made it for yourself and come get it. Now, this last one is absolutely under everybody's control. This last one, beyond you know people panicking and getting sued and uh, uh, putting everything in the trust at the last minute as a fraudulent transfer... Beyond that, this is the biggest one. And you know, there's still not a lot of people who go about you know, that fraudulent transfer and know they're being sued and then attempt to lock it all up. That's a small amount of people, and most lawyers won't even do that. But beyond that self-settled one, just the nature of the trust itself, what's in your control is how the money stays in the trust and how it comes out. That's the next biggest thing. Now, this comes up in your estate plans and everything else, right? You know, you may have it to where at 25 years of age, they get this amount, or 30 years of age, they get that amount, or they just have the right to ask for it, and at some age, they get it all. Well, that money's not planned to stay in that trust now, is it? As soon as it leaves the trust, it's fair game for creditors, um, predators, divorcing spouses. It's fair game. It's only protectable. It's in the trust. And some folks might not say you have a right for it absolutely to come out at that point. 
They may say, you know, I want the trustee only to give it out for, you know, their health, their maintenance and support, and their education. What if it's medical bills? Maintenance and support? I mean, there's a lot of things that can be considered support. Maybe it could be support in that business that supports them. Maybe they went and took a bad loan. They're going to go into foreclosure. They lost their job. Maybe they hit somebody out there with their car and they got a lawsuit. Maintenance and support. That could be considered, you know, in some states, even that could come out for that. Because when they're going to garnish his wages, still going to have to come out because something's going to have to support him. And then we get into that vicious cycle of what can we take and what can we garnish and what can we can't. It's a lot more expensive. But, you know, you can go absolutely discretionary. You can say, trustee, I'd like you to be generous, but you have absolute discretion. You can deny any request. Nothing ever has to come out of this trust. And definitely ignore any request that's under duress. If there's a creditor out there, if they're under pressure, you have the absolute right to just deny that request. Absolutely. No way. For any reason. That's the best way to kind of go. That absolute discretion. Because, you know, let's look back to the other part. What if you put it for that, didn't give them any discretion. They said, you know, they can get 25% when they're 25, 50 when they're 30. What if they're 32 and things fall apart or they get sued? That creditor can take them to court and say, judge, force them to take that money out and give it to me. Order them to do that, judge. Hold them in contempt if they don't. You don't have the right, the trustee doesn't have the right to deny that request because it's available to them. And the court will help out. They absolutely will help out with those kinds of things. They've done it in the past. That's why we went to this absolute discretion standard where nothing ever has to come out. We want the trustee to be generous. If they're doing bad faith, your, your kids have a couple options. You know, they could, they could replace the trustee. They could take the trustee to court if, they, if it's just getting silly. But if they don't have the right to, to ask anything out of there, especially if they can't do anything under duress, then there's no wiggle room. The trustee can say no. The trustee can tell that creditor to go pack sand. Tell him, hey, you better settle with this beneficiary because I'm not authorizing any money to come out. So you better give him a really nice, favorable payment plan. Do all that jazz. Heck, because I'm here and nothing comes out, unless I want it to, maybe it's even better for him to go bankrupt, right? Discharge all that debt. He's still got me laying around the wings. There's a lot more pressure that can be put on the creditors at that point. So, the three most common ways that trusts fail in asset protection are because you put it in too late. It was already raining. There's already creditors coming out. You, you already see the doom on the horizon. So you're being sneaky about it. We don't like that. That's kind of dishonesty. That's that's not fair play. Planning and preparation is fair. Reactionary digging in because you think there's going to be a war is not. If it's self-settled, depending on the state you choose it in, there's going to be less protections. In some states, no protection. Some states protection, but not from divorce and other creditors. There may be special creditors to get through. But special states have it. 
Keep in mind also what kind of assets you put in there, where they're located. And the final reason is it doesn't stay in the trust. We can't protect anything that's not in the trust, right? If it's not in the trust, then there's no protection. We need to stay in there and the trustee to preferably write the checks themselves and do those kinds of things. So keep that in mind when you're doing these trusts and things for asset protection. Uh, when you're setting that plan up, those three areas are probably the things you can focus on the most to make sure that things are set up properly and don't fail. Uh, as always, you're going to need an attorney to kind of go with that. And we'll continue to do these kind of things, send questions in. We'll get technical with them if there's technical questions. But we're going to continue to focus on asset protection, estate planning, family governance, and how these all work together. Remember, there's no perfect plan. There's just a plan that works for you. You never eliminate all risk. You just decide what risks you want to take and which ones you don't. And really, to be good stewards of money and to be able to take care of people, you and your heirs are going to have to know a little bit about this stuff, right? And sure, they're moving parts, but it's not rocket science. It's not overly complicated. Anyone who can run a business, anyone who's financially literate can kind of help this out. It's good education for you. And that's all for today. Let me know uh, if you guys have any more questions. Thanks.